If you have uh, copies of the script, I think you have copies of the scriptures in front of you, or uh, please feel free to pull out your phone if you've got uh, the Bible on your phone and follow along. We'll be looking at Psalm 47 this morning. Uh, and as we, uh, as you turn to Psalm 47, uh, this, um, this story will resonate with some of you and some of you it won't. I'll try to uh, cover my basis a little bit better. Um, December the 19th was Wyatt's uh, 16th birthday. Uh, big, big birthday. M- many of you probably remember your 16th birthday. Uh, and so Kelly and I wanted to do something uh, special for Wyatt. And if you know Wyatt, he's, uh, he's a huge uh, history, um, history uh, buff, I guess you would say, and he also loves uh, sports. And so uh, we uh, bought uh, four tickets uh, to the Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies and Los Angeles Lakers uh, game for Wyatt and I and his cousin, and uh, I, his cousin's dad. Um, I'm not sure what that is, but he, we're related um, to go to the game. So we went, it was such a great time. If it, so many of you have been to large sporting events where, uh, especially where there's people that you love to watch, people that you idolize, you love to watch them. Uh, such was the case. And there was one point toward the end of the game, uh, the Grizzlies uh, were about to seal the deal and beat the Lakers. And I looked around this massive, the FedEx Forum, I'm not sure how many of you have actually been there. I looked around this massive arena, and what I noticed was there were complete strangers. There was a family that I had met uh, just by walking into the arena. Our seats were close by each other. interchanged pleasantries with him and his daughter just a little bit. We got to know each other. At the end of the game, I, I, I kind of came to my senses and realized, I am embracing this man that I don't even know, right? I'm high-fiving his daughter, and we're celebrating the Grizzlies win. And it just kind of hit me like, what in the world am I doing? You know what that's like. If you go to any sort of, if you're Ole Miss or Mississippi State fans, or you go to any sort of those games, you, or even you just watch them on TV, you see people high-fiving and celebrating, and there's just this enormous amounts of joy going on because this victory has taken place or a good play has taken place. You, you know what that's like. When we come to Psalm 47, I think the psalmist is telling us that worship should feel exactly the same way. And even more so because you're not sitting next to complete strangers. You're sitting next to family. And therefore, because of, listen, the Grizzlies didn't win. I'm kind of letting the cat out of the bag here a little early. The Grizzlies didn't win. Jesus saved your soul. And if that's not reason to kind of, now understand we're Presbyterian and everything's to be orderly and indecent. You know, I mean, okay. 
But if that's not reason to stand up and celebrate and find great joy this morning, then you're here for the wrong reason. If you're here for any other reason than that, we've missed it. And I think that's what the psalmist would have us see here in Psalm 47. Let's read it together. Hopefully you can kind of pick out some of these uh, intricacies uh, that, uh, that, you, uh, that we've already talked about. Psalm 47, to the choir master, the psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose, he chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to our God. He is highly exalted. Let's pray together. Father, we, we long to see your beauty and your majesty, your radiance explode before our eyes. So much so that our hearts and our minds, they're just enamored with you. And we can't help but this morning fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with who you are and what you've done and what you will do, Father, so much so uh, that we're filled with hope and with joy. Uh, Lord, we trust that you can do that for us this morning. We ask that you would do that uh, through uh, your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want us to see two things. Uh, I think the psalmist would have us uh, two kind of categories to think about Psalm 47. And I think uh, to think about uh, worship uh, therein. Uh, the first is the atmosphere of worship in verses 1 uh, through 4. And then secondly, the reason for worship in verses 5 uh, through 9. So we'll look at the atmosphere of worship uh, first in verses 1 through 4. I hope you noticed as we read through that, there is this excitement, there is this joy, uh, because there has been a great victory uh, to take place. There's, there's this anticipation and this celebration taking place. God's people, as the psalmist describes, are literally rejoicing aloud, physically, emotionally, and mentally, they are uh, ecstatic. There's clapping, if you look in verse 1. Uh, there's singing, there's shouting. There is this festive type atmosphere, right? Well, 
If you read along, you have to begin to ask the question. This is an atmosphere, and, and I'm going to suggest to you that we're describing this atmosphere as worship. Why is this the case? Why is there so much festivity? Why is there so much elation? Why is there so much celebration taking place? Well, the psalmist tells us the king, the greatest king, the king over all the earth is present. And he's victorious because he's subdued and he's gathered and he's spread his love and blessing all over the people. You see that in verses 2 through four. The loving conqueror's presence is felt and it causes this beautiful celebratory scene corporately, but it also causes this to take place inwardly for those presence, this response of pure joy. But you understand, like this is more than just groupies who've seen a member of the band, right? That may not make as much sense to some of the younger generations uh, here, but some, to some of the older generations, you remember what that's like. You just kind of uncontrollably lost yourself, right? That, it's, that's not what we're describing here. This is more than just the lifelong fan who's celebrating the newly minted championship. We could draw similarities like that. Super Bowl parades and national championship parades and parties and wedding parties and births and all of those sort of things. I think there's actually a picture that the scripture gives us. It's one that we, it's one that kind of sneaks up on us. In fact, you've read the passage probably a bazillion times. But there's certain things that stick out to you more than others, and it's the others that actually highlight uh, the passage. You, you don't have to turn there now. You can read it later this afternoon, but Matthew 21, if you open up to Matthew 21 later this afternoon, it'll be very familiar to you because that's the place where Jesus walks into the temple, and he looks around, and he sees all the money changers, and he sees this, um, this mockery of his house, and what's he do? Flips the tables over. Now, you want to talk about causing a scene. Jesus walks into the temple, and there's all sorts of manipulation and idolatrous behavior going on, and Jesus walks up, and he flips the tables over, and he says, hey, my father's house was meant to be a house of prayer." And you've turned it into a den of robbers. But do you know what happens after that? You know what happens? That's the part we usually focus on in Matthew 21. It's like, whoa, Jesus just did it, right? But do you know what happens after that in Matthew 21? Immediately after Jesus does this in the temple, there's a celebration. There is joy. The blind and the lame actually come into the temple and they're healed. The, Matthew actually describes for us that Jesus did so many wonderful things that children were running around the temple screaming at the top of their lungs, Hosanna to the Son of David! 
Because Jesus has made, he's shown up as this victorious king. And he has conquered enemies. And he is making things right. And people celebrate. There's joy and there's goodness. And I think here in Psalm 47, we're talking about worship. We're talking about weekly worship, Lord's Day worship. And so several questions come to mind, questions that I hope you'll ask yourself and think about the answers. Are you this eager and excited and enthralled with worshiping our victorious King? Is that the motivation for which you came here this morning? You know, here in the South, we kind of sometimes we and, and trust me, I slip into this slip into this struggle just as much as you do. Sometimes we just kind of do church, right? We just kind of come here because this is what you do. You come here and you sit here for an hour and you worship and you hang out with people and you listen to preacher preach and you sing some songs and that sort of thing. Sometimes we slip into that category. But isn't this so much more? Isn't this supposed to be uh, so much more? I'll tell you where my heart went when I asked myself these questions. It went to all the external factors that usually keep me from having this type of mindset and this type of heart motivation towards coming to worship. It went to those external factors. Some of them might be for you, well, the preacher preaches too long, and I just tune out. Right? Or the songs, the music, they didn't really connect with me. Or the people in work, you know, all these sort of things. The external factors. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm to be held accountable as well as our musicians and the people who help us. It's our responsibility to prayerfully lead you in worship. And we try to do that to the best of our ability. But those are still external factors. There's an internal factor that is only between you and Jesus that is necessary when you come uh, to worship Him. What's the disposition of your heart when you come to worship? Why worship? One of the challenges the Lord laid on my heart was that of uh, prayerful preparation. I think the passage uh, speaks to that. There's, You see, in... Please don't hear me the wrong way. There is so much beauty and there is so much joy in all the preparation that goes into throwing a party, right? If you have like a a wedding party at your house and some of you are really good at this, or you have a party that like celebrates a baby or anniversary parties or something, you guys are so good at this. And there's tons of preparation that goes into that. And that's all so beautiful. Some of you love tailgating. There's a lot of preparation that goes into tailgating, right? And so the question I want us to ask uh, this morning, how much preparation do we have for worship? Verse 4, if you look at it with me, there's this constant reminder of undeservedness and yet love. There's so much that should disqualify us from being in this room this morning. You realize that, right? Like there's so much. If, if you, if the ushers and deacons and the elders in back, when you came in, they're, they're like, all right, well, let's talk about how you did this week. 
okay, I don't think you're going to be able to come in. <laughs> you're probably going to need to leave, <laughs> right? But isn't that the reality? None of us are deserving. We don't deserve to be here. And thank goodness we don't do that at the back door. And yet God loves to be uh, with us. He, you're not welcomed into worship on your merits. If that were the case, it'd be an empty room. But rather this victorious king who reigns over all the earth chose you. To be his prized possession. He loves you. And he's uncontrollably delighted to be with you no matter where your heart is this morning. If that doesn't endear you and make you want to worship him all the more, then there's a little bit of a problem. You see, our victorious king, King Jesus, experienced the opposite of this joy in order that we might be here with each other this morning. And so when you experience His grace, and when you experience His presence through prayer, or through hymn lyrics, or through teaching, or through a friend who just really knows how to love you well because they care about you, what does that do to your heart? Do you come anticipating that joy, looking for that joy? And when it appears, does it fill your heart with gladness and thanksgiving and joy? That's what the psalmist is saying. If Jesus' mercy truly is new every morning, then there should be enough mercy that there's nothing we can't prayerfully come to Him. And say, Jesus, I'm going to need you to help me with these external factors this morning. Because I want to be with you. That's the only reason I'm here. I want to be with you. I want to see you high and lifted up. I want to feel your presence. I want to know your grace and your mercy deeper. You see, that atmosphere is very much determined by an understanding of presence. And it's that presence that forces us to look at the reason for worship. Um, the atmosphere and the reason for worship, if you look at verses 5 through 9, there is this moving scene in verses 5 through 9 that we can almost, uh, that we can almost miss. We can almost uh, skip over. Verse 5 is identical in the original languages. You can write this down and look it up later. Is identical in the original languages to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 15. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 15, the Ark of the Covenant is being taken up to Jerusalem in this celebratory fashion, in this triumphant king coming, to, coming into his city to make his reign and his presence known, the city of David where God's dwelling place would be. So this image is God ascending his earthly throne. His presence is near. And as God ascends, there is this great gathering of the nations. That's what the psalmist describes for us. The princes, excuse me, and the peoples. But did you notice how they're seen? Did you notice how they're seen? Look, at, look in verse 9. 
Verses 8 and 9, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Now, you've got to kind of stop there. You've got to kind of push pause because here's this throng of people that are gathered under uh, God's rule and his reign as the psalmist portrays for us this picture and they're all all these people are gathered together as one people under the covenant promise of Abraham a great nation and we have to ask this question how does a holy God dwell with a bunch of unholy people, right? How, how, does that, how does that take place? How, does, how is it that unholy people rejoice and celebrate in the presence of a holy God? Look at verse 6. The psalmist's way of describing uh, this is almost uh, indescribable. You, you notice this, right? In verse 6, the psalmist says the same thing. For, it's almost like he doesn't know what to say. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. You get the, you get the point? In the presence of a holy God, unholy people are so undone with worship and celebration and joy that the psalmist says all he can do is just say, sing praises. Just keep singing praises. Sing praises. Sing praises all the more. How is that the case? Um... I'm sure this has happened to some of you as it's happened to me. Someone gives you a gift um, that you didn't expect and uh, it's so much more than you could ever imagine. That I remember this was for my children. You, you give them a sweet gift and they just can't do anything but squeal. Do you remember that? You remember, like, you give them this really precious, and they just, you know, they just begin to kind of quiver and shake with this excitement uh, and this joy. This gift is so overwhelming uh, that you just don't know what to do except have this emotional, audible uh, response. And that's what the psalmist is describing. The shields of protection and love and acceptance and victory belong to God and to His people because Jesus came from behind that shield to bear the unprotected disapproval and failure of our sin. God ascends and He looks onto His covenantally gathered people with love and mercy because Jesus bore the punishment of us breaking the Abrahamic promise. God kept His end of the deal and sacrificed Jesus for our inability to keep our end of the deal. What makes the people in Psalm 47 rejoice? A sacrifice has been made. A sacrifice has been made. When you, have, you have to understand, when they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant up that hill into Jerusalem, it's not this big, pretty, lavish thing that you have envisioned in your mind. 
There's blood all over that thing. Because a sacrifice has had to be made on the mercy seat for what? To cover the people's sin. And so as they see this Ark of the Covenant walk past and as it's See, it's gruesome glory. There's this realization that my sins have been forgiven. And that's the reason the psalmist says, sing and sing and sing and sing and sing all the more. And my friends, having beheld the even greater sacrifice of King Jesus shedding His blood for our sins, does His forgiveness and His newness given to you make your heart rejoice this morning the same? Sing and sing and sing all the more because the greatest gift in the world has been given to you. Maybe you did something you're not proud of this past week. I don't know what that is. Um, Maybe you hurt someone or someone hurt you. Uh, Maybe your thoughts about any number of things carried you to a place of assumption or anger or disdain or pain or heartache. Is that why you're here this morning? You long more than anything in this world to feel that forgiveness that David was talking about in Sunday school. You long more than anything to feel that forgiveness, to share it, to see the newness. And when you see it, to rejoice. Does does the fixation of God's smile toward you through Jesus enamor you? to sing and to shout and rejoice and worship and tell others about His greatness? It's often been said that Christians don't need to necessarily be taught so much as they need to be reminded. Uh, I don't know if that applies to you. It certainly does to me. Do gospel reminders, big and small, endear your heart to worship uh, your victorious King who has claimed victory over your sin and mine through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. And for that reason, we worship in the atmosphere of this room and the atmosphere of our hearts is filled with joy. And filled with celebration. Because someone's done something for us that can never be reduplicated. And never replaced. It's the greatest game on the face of the earth. And you're on the winning team. It's so much more than that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess to you this morning um, that so often, maybe I'll just speak for myself, Lord. So often my heart comes to worship, and it is in so many other places than expecting to experience 
your forgiveness and your goodness and your grace. It's in so many other places. And yet you, because of who you are, because of your character, week in and week out, you are here to meet with us and here to pour that righteousness all over us again because of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, would you please help us to rejoice with gladness with full hearts this morning, Lord. Because you have forgiven us. You've forgiven us for even coming here with ill motives. <laughs> you've forgiven us when we're distracted. You're for, you've forgiven us when we don't understand. And you will forgive us when we struggle with the very same thing again next week. What a loving and gracious God you are. Help us, Father. Help us to worship. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.